The America's National Parks Podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean is a proud partner of the National Park Foundation. L.L. Bean and the National Park Foundation share a belief that every community should have the opportunity and resources to experience the joy of the outdoors together. Through this partnership, they're not only helping people find their parks, they're helping protect, restore, and improve parks across the U.S. If it's outside, L.L. Bean is all in. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. Hi, I'm Jason Epperson of the America's National Parks podcast. This week, we're doing something a little different. It's National Park Week, and we're teaming up with other National Park podcasters, authors, bloggers, and other content creators to celebrate. So you might be hearing this episode in our podcast feed or someone else's. The theme for today, Thursday, April 23rd, is Throwback Thursday. So a few of us podcasts decided to band together for a best of sort of episode. We're going to play you a clip each from Gaze at the National Parks, Everybody's National Parks, Parklandia, and America's National Parks. These throwback episodes are some of our favorites. We hope you enjoy. We begin with full-time RVers Matt and Brad Kerouac, who travel the country with one goal, to visit as many national parks as possible, producing the Parklandia podcast along the way. Sometimes Matt and Brad talk about national parks and their adventures, but others, they talk about food. Follow along as we throw back to Parklandia's first episode ever, as they sit down for a glass of wine made in Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Food. Now, when you get back from the trails, um, one thing that we found was the winery. Oh, yes. How can we forget? Yes. This uh, this winery, this tasting room, it was big. I mean, it's loft like. What was the name of that winery? Sarah's Vineyard. Sarah's Vineyard. Which was a huge surprise. Fun. Yeah. So, so great. I mean, it doubled as an art gallery and there's a patio with a deck. You can you see this beautiful view of the vineyard in the back. I mean, it's a really fun and funky, lofty space, you know, and they have plenty of good food, but... Um, including yeah. overwhelmingly huge portions oh, yeah. of nachos. I remember Louise had like a, a a bit of a moment with those nachos. I think she just wanted a little snack and it came out in a wheelbarrow basically. And <laughs> it was, it was overwhelming for sure. Uh, but oh, uh, we're not mad. Sarah, keep on doing your thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then we had, what was that? Uh, raviogis. Oh um, God. <laughs> which yeah. are ravioli pierogies, super dumplings with homemade marinara and fillings like Italian sausage or spinach and mushroom. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the, those things were amazing. Yeah, it was, it's kind of strange because ravioli and pierogi are both just pretty much the same thing anyway. So I don't know that those needed to be formed into one, but I'm fine with it. <laughs> I mean, in general, the, the raviogis, the, the fact that there's a winery here in the park is pretty impressive and very unexpected. I had no idea that was there until we were... In the park and just, I think we went here because we wanted to like cool off. It was just so humid and muggy and we're like, I can't move anymore. I need a uh, white wine, I need <laughs> chilled white wine, maybe a rosé, maybe a ravioli creation. Maybe a rosé grigio, you know, oh, seeing yeah. how we're blending things. Seeing I as mean, we're 
Absolutely, yeah. I love it. So, I mean, obviously this isn't Napa Valley or anything, so they're limited to what they can grow. Uh, and he, honestly, you shouldn't come here expecting anything mind-blowing. But, like, they did, they do grow, like, Cabernet Franc and Niagara and Vidal. And it, it was impressive. And the vineyards were beautiful and really majestic-looking, um, very well-manicured. And this is just exactly the type of thing you want when it's a scorching summer day. You just want to drink a carafe of chilled Niagara wine. But in the mornings, yeah. you know what I want? I want to visit my diners. Mm, plenty of those <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in no, Ohio. Just yeah. a couple. But I have to take a moment to talk about how there's yeah. hash browns and then there's home fries. Okay? Home fries are not for me. I'm a hash brown guy. And what I found out is that there's like this war on hash browns versus home fries and about every other place we visit, it's home fries is their, like, go-to or hash browns. So a PSA to all those diners out there, I want to see hash browns, crispy hash browns in your diner. <laughs> well, did these—we went to a couple diners around here. I don't remember what their hash brown home fry situation was like. They had hash browns. I like both, so it, I feel like I just—I don't get heated about it. <laughs> I'm passionate about my It's passion. Yeah. It is. It is. I have passions about silly things. Yeah. Well, like it's also browns. good. These are like diners, especially ones with like hash browns and chicken fried whatever and pancakes. Like these are really the best types of places to go in the morning before heading up a national park because you need the fuel. And it also kind of, it, it feels very poetic and nice to do something so Americana before you go to a national park, which it doesn't get more Americana than that. And this is the one thing about the RV life versus... The camping life is camping. You kind of go out to eat a lot versus RV life. We can actually eat a little bit healthier because I remember that night that we ordered the pizzas at the campsite. I went and picked them up um, and, you know, bring it back. I mean, pizza is my favorite meal of choice, but I just think that I'm glad that we have the RV now so we can eat a little bit healthier and, you know, less junk food because the junk food there, let me tell you, it's endless. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, when in Rome and when we're, you know, hopping from murder mystery train to different diners, it's all well and good. And, yeah, it just, it, it was fun. We had a very fun time doing that and bopping around together. I remember, like, doing um, a long trail together as well. I think this, I think this was pre-Vineyard. This is probably the the thing that broke us was the fact that, like, we went on this long winding trail through the woods and it was really great it was a good hike um but again like just uh, almost unbearably humid like you'd step into the sun you're just like i could catch on fire now yeah Um, it definitely got hot (laughs) yes it did and it was a long one and we're desperate for water uh or more water i should say because we were chugging it um and then we just reached the point where we're trying to find the end of it or circling around or something and i remember i kept leading us in the wrong direction i was so confident i'm like yes it's this way and then we would go for a ways and it's like no it's not and I did that like three times. Oh. I just assumed it like formed a big loop, but it was not the case. We needed to just go backwards to, from where we came. <laughs> you can follow Parklandia on Instagram or Facebook or join in the Parklandia Rangers Facebook group. In Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan's Gaze at the National Parks, each episode features one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time. This clip is from episode 10. Angels Landing in Zion National Park. 
After getting on the Angels Landing Trail right at 7 a.m., Mike and Dusty make it all the way to the top of the chains. Dusty's fear of heights keeps him clutching to a boulder, while Mike walks to all of the edges and takes all of the photos. This clip is from their hike back down. But the top of Angel's Landing is often a spot where, you know, people stand at the ledge and they like get people to take their picture for their social media and their dating websites and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, no, no, forget all of this. I'm not doing any of this today. Like, I am just going to focus on being alive. And getting that t-shirt. And I am not kidding with you when I tell you that I wanted that cute t-shirt so I badly. that t-shirt. And I was like, no, I've got to finish this hike in order to get that shirt. Right. That is the thing that kept me going. <laughs> we hang out for a little while. I would say like a good 20 minutes to a half hour yeah. up and there. And then I was like, okay, we've, it's time to go. It's time to go down. Yeah. What was nice about going down the chains is that you can hold on to the chains and you can sit and scoot. do a little sit and scoot. And I liked this because... Um, I felt like I could take up more space on rock and feel like I had a little more grasp of, you know, the land beneath me. Right. Now, keep in mind, too, it's probably around like 930 or so on a return. Right. And at this point, no longer is it, oh, here's one or two people coming back. We are part of like a caravan of people heading back. And there are throngs of people coming out. People coming up. We're making our way down. We're sitting and scooting on the chains. It is not a 1,000 foot drop off on both sides the entire way. Occasionally there will be something here and then occasionally there will be something there and then it'll be on both sides and then it'll just be on one side. It's this amalgamation of just like treacherous, scary terrain. You have to track. So we're on our way down and we're sitting and scooting and I lose a hold of the chain and I slip and I slide about eight feet down this rock face. Mm-hmm. You were ahead of me. What else is new? My life did not flash before my eyes, but this is what went through my mind. I slipped and I fell and I slid. Now, I was. this was not like a little tiny fall. This is like I am on my back and I am sliding downward on like a 35 degree angle, I mm-hmm. would say. This part of my mind just took over that was like, oh, no, this is not how you die today. And then it's not what the gypsy told me. <laughs> there was a tree right next to a tree with a root. And right. there were a few trees around. And I grabbed onto that tree. And then I made my way to a standing position. Now, had I slid about 10 more feet, yeah, I'd be looking at a cliff edge. And mm-hmm. I could have, that could have been a fatality, to be frank. Right. And I stood up and you turned around and you were looking at me horrified, like you were a ghost. All of the color had run out of your body. And I said this, I said, I'm not going to emotionally process what just happened. Right. Until we're back on the ground. Until we're back on the ground. (laughs) And you went, "Uh, okay, 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 great. But this is what this did to me for the rest of the trek down. Now we are making our way through these throngs of people who are coming up. Right. Now, I am not kidding you when I say it's like, okay, you stay there. I'm going to put my leg around your shoulder and I'm going to climb over you. And then you can climb under my leg as I get over it. Right. It's really like pretzely. Super pretzely. As people are making their way up the chains, you're in front of me and people are asking the two of us. They're like, oh, well, is it worth it? And Mike is going, 
oh my God, it's beautiful. It's spectacular. <laughs> it's amazing. And I'm, I'm behind going, mm, <laughs> I think I could see the same thing from down there. And so many people <laughs> turned around <laughs> when they saw me do that. Because then I was just pissed off. Right. I mean, I do have to say the view from at the top of Angel's Landing is, I think, yeah, one of the most spectacular, beautiful, worth it views ever. You are, technically speaking, looking at the same thing when you're at Scout's Lookout. And even when you're in that embankment down a little further, the angle is not as high and it's not as grand, but you are technically seeing the same area of land. Is this your disclaimer? That's my disclaimer. Disclaimer for anyone who doesn't feel like they want to trek out. And I understand. And it is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. This is happening like the whole way down the chains. And then we get back to Scout's Lookout and then I take an emotional moment and I'm like... Okay, that almost happened. That could have been really, really, really horrible and fatal. But we're okay, and we're going to keep going. Check out Gaze at the National Parks on Facebook and Instagram or at gazeatthenationalparks.com. Everybody's National Parks is an audio guide podcast promoting family adventure in our national parks like having a ranger in your pocket. Danielle, along with her husband, Brian, and their two junior rangers have new episodes that come out every other Tuesday. Each series of episodes includes a trip report, interviews with experts, and tips and insights on what makes the park special. They have in-depth multi-episode series on dozens of parks, along with plenty of special guest appearances. What you'll hear today are a few different clips. An excerpt from their Yosemite trip report from May 2019, a clip of historian musician Tom Bopp performing Yosemite, O Land of Cliffs and Waterfalls. And finally, a clip from their interview with Ken Burns from April 2019. I am here with Brian and we are so excited to talk about our incredible trip to Yosemite National Park today. Where should we begin? Because this is just an amazing place. A lot of people check into the park for a day, two days. I feel like you could be there for a lifetime and still not do it all. If there's any time to kind of test your kids and really go beyond what you think is their limits, this is it. And we did just that. On our hike, I don't think we had committed to going to Nevada Falls. So you start at Vernal Falls and then you head up to Nevada Falls. We committed to Vernal Falls and then we were like, oh, we'll just, we'll just see what happens. And we kept going and it was so, so worth it. So we were so proud of our kids. This was their first real long and strenuous hike. It's unforgettable. The waterfalls are just, they're really spectacular. And along the trail, even before you get to the first waterfall, Every turn, every curve is just another spectacular, stunning view, whether you're seeing falls or seeing the granite walls. It's just stunning every step of the way. Yosemite, oh land of cliffs and waterfalls, of rock-bound purple lakes that calmly lie. Yosemite, though distant, we shall hear the call Of wooded mountains reaching to the sky 
Like but it's not about me. It's the fact that it matters that in anyone who's listening to this life, they get to Yosemite or to Shenandoah or to the rim of the Grand Canyon. And while it is the grandest canyon on earth and that matters the most, it also equally matters whose hand you're holding. Right. And who you are forming very human experiences and memories with. And that, if people do that, if they get up and go and see these places, which is their inheritance, they will then be able to protect them as we go forward, particularly when we enter into periods like now of more acquisitive time. Everybody's National Park's eight-part podcast series on Yosemite also includes a wonderful conversation about Ansel Adams' legacy with his son, Michael, grandson, Matthew, and internationally known photographer and Ansel's last darkroom assistant, Alan Ross. You can find the show at everybodysnationalparks.com and on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Finally, the America's National Parks podcast is produced and hosted by myself and my wife, Abigail, as we travel the country with our three boys. We tell stories from the past, spotlight conservation efforts, and bring you the latest news from the parks. This clip comes from our episode 37 Days in Yellowstone, which tells the story of Truman Everts, who was separated from the Washburn expedition that set out to explore the wild and wondrous land that is now Yellowstone National Park. Blunder after blunder led Everts to lose both his horse and a supply horse, a pistol and two knives. He lit the forest on fire twice, accidentally slept in a bear's den and spent days in a tree after being chased up it by a mountain lion. Yet miraculously, he survived. How long he slept, he did not know. When he was awoken by a loud, shrill scream, that of a human being in distress poured seemingly into the very portals of his ears. There was no mistaking that fearful voice. He had been deceived by and answered it a dozen times while threading the forest. It was the screech of a mountain lion, so alarmingly near as to cause every one of his nerves to thrill with terror. Adrenaline pushed him hurriedly up the tree until he was as near the top as safety would permit. The savage beast was snuffing and growling below on the very spot he had just abandoned. He answered every growl with a responsive scream. Terrified at the pawing of the beast, he increased his voice to its utmost volume, broke branches from the limbs, and madly hurled them at the spot where it paced. Failing to alarm the animal, which now began to make a circuit of the tree as if to select a spot for springing into it, he shook the slender trunk until every limb rustled with motion. The mountain lion pursued his walk around the tree, lashing the ground with his tail and prolonging his howlings almost to a roar. It was too dark to see, but the movements of the lion kept him appraised of its position. Whenever he heard it on one side of the tree, he moved to the opposite, an exercise which, in his weakened state, could only have been performed under the impulse of terror. Expecting any moment it would take the deadly leap, Everts tried to collect his thoughts and prepare for the fatal encounter which he knew must result. Just at this moment, it occurred to him to try a new tactic. Silence. Clasping the trunk of the tree with both arms, he sat perfectly still. The lion, at this time, ranging around, occasionally snuffing and pausing, 
and all the while filling the forest with the echo of his howlings suddenly imitated his example. This silence was more terrible than the clatter and crash of the movements through the brushwood, for now Everts didn't know what direction to expect his attack. Moments passed like hours until the beast sprang, screaming, into the forest. His strength decimated by the encounter, Everts climbed down and unwillingly fell asleep in the same spot, not waking until morning. The experience of the night seemed like a terrible dream, but the broken limbs on the ground in the daylight confirmed the reality. Knowing that such an encounter was bound to happen again, Everts faced a new challenge, a change in weather. A storm of mingled snow and rain set in, the wind piercing the tears in his clothing. He began to realize that reuniting with his friends was a fool's errand, and he must escape the wilderness on his own accord. The accomplishment of that task seemed impossible as he sheltered below the branches of a spruce tree for two more days as the storm continued to rage unabated. While laying exhausted and again starving, a little bird, not larger than a snowbird, hopped within his reach. He seized it, killed it, and plucking its feathers, ate it raw. On the morning of the third day, the storm lulled. Everts rose early and started in the direction of a large group of hot springs in the distance. He knew the spot unmistakably and could see it. It was at the base of a mountain that Henry Washburn had named after him, Mount Everts. The journey was only ten miles, but the storm raged again long before he made it to the clearing. Chilled to the bone with his clothes thoroughly saturated, He lay down under a tree upon the heated crust of the hot springs until completely warmed. After one of the worst storms he ever saw subsided, Everts found a place for revival. Thistle roots abounded and a boiling hot spring allowed him to cook them. The vapor which supplied him with warmth saturated his clothing. He was enveloped in a perpetual steam bath. At first, this was barely preferable to the storm but he soon became accustomed to it, even enjoying it. For days he thought of little but escape. The want for fire filled his mind, knowing he would need to leave the warmth of the hot springs. He knew it would keep the wild beasts away, and he knew another storm would kill him if he had no way to recover from the cold. He recalled everything he had ever read or heard on producing fire, but none of them seemed within his reach. As he lay anxiously awaiting the disappearance of the foot of snow which had fallen, a gleam of sunshine lit up the lake, and with it, a thought flashed through his mind. The opera glass. He quickly dismantled it, removed a lens, and focused the sun's rays. As the smoke curled from the bit of dry wood in his fingers, all thoughts of failure were instantly abandoned, and he made preparations to leave. Find the America's National Parks podcast on any social media and join our America's National Parks Facebook group to see beautiful pictures and videos from 60,000 park-loving friends. You can find Gaze at the National Parks, Parklandia, Everybody's National Parks, and America's National Parks on any podcast app. We hope you'll subscribe to them all. 
And please make sure to join in on the National Park Week fun by checking out all the posts from the National Parks Creative Exchange and the National Park Service on any of our social media accounts and by following the hashtag National Park Week. This episode of America's National Parks was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be an Outsider or visit llbean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. <laughs>